Hello, welcome to Tales from the Albright, a podcast by the Scranton Public Library. Today we'll be discussing the stained glass windows. My name is Alyssa, and I work in the reference department of the Scranton Public Library. I received my master's degree from Simmons University in archives management, which is a branch of the library and information science field. Today our guest is Anne, who works with me in the reference department. Hi everyone. Up here in reference, we often get asked about what the building was before a library due to the stained glass windows. Many people think it looks like a church, but we have always been a library and the stained glass windows actually reflect this. So we are going to go through the construction of them and some of the notable figures from history that are represented by the windows. Do you know anything about how stained glass windows are created? No, I do not. Okay. So each window for our building in particular was designed by Edwin Ford and Frederick Brooks of Boston, Massachusetts. They also designed stained glass windows for areas of the Massachusetts State House. They are made of wrought lead and colored glass to illustrate book bindings from the famous public and private libraries, as well as notable patrons of the arts. What was that before the stained glass? What was the first part that they're made out of? Uh, Rot lead. Rot lead. So they're lead windows. Okay, all right. Do you know what book bindings are? Not really, to tell you the truth. I've never really studied any of them. Okay. (laughs) So book bindings are technically the cover and method of holding a book together. In the early days of book history, bookbinding was an expensive process and everything had to be done by hand. In a blog post by the Folger Library, it states that during this time, a small amount of books owned by the very wealthy were by contrast richly adorned with gold, complicated tooling, fine exotic leather in different colors and patterns, textiles, or paint. And these designs are what created the book bindings and the sense of what we're talking about with the designs for the stained glass windows. Okay. It was an interesting research process to get to that. So. Yeah, I would think so, yes. <laughs> um, because tutorials on how to bind books kept coming up. Oh, wow. And not so much the decoration that goes onto them. Okay. Well, so, most of the, when they read book bindings, like the, co- the cover itself, was it, could it be a crest, a family crest, or was it just something general? Um, it seemed like most of the time it was a family crest or like an arms that noted ownership of okay. the book. So the first person we are going to talk about is Elizabeth I. The window with her binding on it is located in the middle panel of the stained glass section when you're walking up the stairs to the reference department from the first floor where the entryway is. On this stained glass, it features a crown on top of a belt that reads Honi soy qui mal y pense, which means shame on him who thinks evil in Middle French. Middle French was spoken in the 14th and 16th centuries when the Order of the Garter was created, and it is their motto. This is an order of chivalry in Britain that was created by Edward III and represents public service today. So you can still be knighted into oh. the order of the chivalry. Oh, really? Yes. Oh. The queen is the sovereign of the order. In Elizabeth I, the shield in the center of the binding has its own symbolic meaning. It is a shield consisting of three fleur-de-lis in the top left and bottom right, surrounded by blue, 
with three lions in the top right and bottom left surrounded by red. The lions are symbolic of England and the fleur-de-lis is symbolic of France. As an explanation of why the two countries are that way. Thank you. I was just yes. going to ask that. Why is there a lot of French influence? Yes. English monarchs claimed a right to the French throne until about 1800 due to marriages from the Middle Ages. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. That's, yes. very, that's interesting. So it's all intertwined. And intertwined. <laughs> yes. We will now talk about Queen Elizabeth as a person. Um, do you know anything about her? Was Mary, her, Mary was her sister, right? Am I getting the two? Uh, am I getting no, the she is. Mary, yeah. yeah, Mary was her sister. And she was Ed, Henry's daughter? Was she Henry's? Yes, she was Henry VIII's legitimate daughter. Yes. She was born to Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn in 1533. Okay. She inherited the throne after the death of both her half-brother, Edward VI, who we'll discuss next, Okay. and then her half-sister, Princess Mary. And Mary was... Catherine's daughter? Catherine? I think so. I, oh, I believe that was the oldest child, I think. Okay. It would make sense. <laughs> yes, it would make yes. sense, yes. <laughs> In 1558, she began her 45-year reign as Queen of England. During her reign, the Church of England would become more solidified in England, and she would also support explorations into the Americas. We're kind of going to go more into her role in terms of the arts. Okay. She would attend plays, influence miniature painting, and would tour the country in expensive clothing and jewelry, which are works of art on their own. In a lot of museums today, they okay. typically have a section on like jewelry or pendants. Yes. And so she would patronize different artists. Most notably, she would attend theater productions of Shakespeare's works, including A Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, all right. You mentioned miniature paintings. Yes. What were they exactly? So they are one inch by two inch paintings of family members. So oh. they could be worn as like brooches or necklaces, okay. All right. rings, just so tiny like, keepsake. Okay. So sort of like of. today people still do that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All so right. instead of like a locket with photos right. of your husband and your dog, it's just paintings. Oh, okay. Oh, nice. <laughs> Queen Elizabeth died on March 24th of 1603, and this date would become a national holiday for the next 200 years. Wow. Yes. So I did not know that. That's that, okay. So that's about all I have on her. Okay. So we will go on to Edward VI, the next. Edward's mother was Jane Seymour, who was Henry VIII's third wife. Okay. He became King of England and Ireland in 1547 when he was nine years old. Oh, wow. And this meant his uncle, Edward Seymour, the Duke of Somerset, would have power until he came of age. Okay. It was a common tradition in monarchies where if you were underage and when you ascended to the throne, you often had an adult who would take care of business and rule things until you yourself were able to. Okay. This would change within a few years. And the Duke of Northumberland would overthrow Seymour and become the main influence on Edward's reign. Throughout all of it, Edward VI kept a diary. Oh, did he? Yes. <laughs> so oh. you can find that and read it. So that is interesting. That would be very interesting to read. In other literary interests, the Common Book of Prayer, which was introduced under Edward VI's reign in 1549, so this was a Protestant Bible that included prayers and 
Also ties nicely into the design for his window, as the design can be found on the cover of Certain Prayers for Godly Meditations that was published in 1538. And where is his window in the reference department? Okay, his window is on the top right-hand side of the stained glass windows that are next to the stairs to okay. get up okay. to the reference department. I would also like to mention that according to Royal English Book Bindings by Cyril Davenport, published in 1896, the book Certain Prayers for Godly Meditations is also the first example of a decorated doubleature. And a doubleature is the inside cover of a book. Oh, wow. Yes. And Edward's mark is almost the same as Elizabeth I. It, so it has the alternating fleur-de-lis and three lion patterns. But there is also a crown that rests on top of the shield, and there is no belt. So there is no mark of the Order of the Garter present in his. We are going to start to discuss stained glass windows that show French examples of bookbinding. Oh, very nice. So yes. they, they're all very interconnected. Inter- yes, very interconnected. <laughs> uh, we are going to start with uh, the discussion of the stained glass window representing Henry III. Is located in the reference reading room with the computers and it is on the top row of the main set of the eight windows that can be seen when you look straight down the reference room it is on the top left side and it is a red oval in the center with blue oblong shapes at the top and bottom and fancy circular patterns I was able to find the book that could have had this design on it for Henry III, and it is printed in gold on Devote Complantations et Spiritualis Instructions sur la vie de Nostra Savior Jesus Christ. And that was published in Paris in the year 1583. It seems that the center oval, which is red in our window, had an illustration of the crucifixion originally on the book binding. That would make sense. Yes. Yes, definitely. That would make sense. Yes, especially with such a religious title. Yes. Is it? Was it like a daily prayer book to you? Does it seem that? It seems to be. Um, That's what I got from the title. Yeah, like instructions on yeah, how to live like, a religious life. life. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Henry III was born in 1551 to Henry II and Catherine de Medici. After a successful military career in the French Wars of Religion, he would ascend to the throne in 1575 after the death of his brother Charles. The civil war between the Protestants and Catholics would continue under his rule as Henry aligned himself with the Protestant Huguenots, putting him in opposition to the Roman Catholic Holy League. His reign in 1589 ended when he was assassinated by Jacques Clement, a Jacobian friar. Oh, wow. I didn't know he was assassinated. I really didn't know he was assassinated. Yeah, I didn't either. I had no idea. Wow. Yeah. And I will be covering Catherine de Medici in the next episode. In the next one, right. Because Because she was French. Was she French or was she Italian? She was Italian, but Um, married into France. French. France. Yes. Okay. And we do have a window for her as well. Oh, all right. I'll be covering her in the next episode, which is part two of Stained Glass. Despite the war defining his reign, Henry III was also fond of intellectual pursuits. In Bookbinding in France, written by William Younger Fletcher, published in 1894, 
It discusses how Henry was a lover of finely bound books and would occasionally bind them himself. Like the one that influenced our window, it was common for him to use religious emblems and memento mori motifs. And memento mori essentially means a symbol that life is short and you should use your time and that death is near. Okay. Um, so it would often be like skulls or hourglasses okay, with yeah. the sand pouring down into the bottom. Okay. Or the use of like skeletons. They're kind of, it was a popular motif. Very, back yes, back in those days, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last window I will cover for today is the one for Diane de Porters, who was the mistress of Henry II. So he kind of loved Diane more than Catherine, and it was a point of contention throughout okay. their entire marriage. Oh, my bitch, it was. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so her window is right below Henry III's. The window has gold detailing around blue and teal designs with three interlocking crescent shapes that can be seen at the center. And diagonally from the crescents are arrows and quivers, and the bows are on either side of the design. And all of these are noted as devices, which are symbols of the goddess Diana. I was, I was going, when yes. you were saying that, that was, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Yes, she kind of used Diana in the place of herself because her name was Diane. Okay, okay. And the closest I could find to this design was in architecture at the Chateau Dianette, which was a hunting lodge built by Diane when she was the mistress to Henry II. Oh, wow. On one of the door knockers found in the chateau, there are the interlocking moons that are bordered by bows. Um, but I wasn't able to locate the exact design that our window was taken okay. from. Okay. So a little about Diane to finish up. She was born in 1499. She first appeared in court as Louise of Savoy's lady-in-waiting. And then this put her in position to rise the ranks and become the official royal mistress of Henry II after her first husband's death. Then she just went on, and it was a point of contention between Henry and Catherine de Medici. Forever. Yes. Oh, and how do you become an official mistress? So, yes. in, <laughs> in, yeah. in France... It kind of was almost expected because you married for prestige or money or land. Okay. And then your official mistress is kind of who you actually wanted to be with and oh. who you actually had a relationship and loved. Okay. Um, so it was uncommon most of the time for kind of arranged political marriages for the couple to actually love each other. Right. And it was mostly just for, like, lineage and prestige. Okay. So the official royal mistress kind of had that role. Oh, okay. So it was a declared, open type of mistress. Oh, okay. So everyone in court would know that, wow. like, oh, this person has influence. Okay, And mistresses yes. often had influences, influences and input into daily affairs of the country really as well yes wow. because they were very close to the king and other royals so they would be able to like share their opinions wow. and influence now if they had any children with the king were they considered legitimate children or no no okay 
There was a process, I believe, that they could have those children legitimized if their okay. children with their royal spouse had all passed away okay. or for whatever reason they couldn't serve the throne. That's really interesting. Yes. Yep. Oh, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, on that note, that's where we're going to end for today. <laughs> I will be back next week for part two of our stained glass windows. And I will be covering some of the windows, including the one for Catherine de Medici and Francis II. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, or anything at all, please send me an email at aloney at albright.org. That is A-L-O-N-E-Y at albright.org. Or give us a call at 570-348-3000. Thank you. Thank you.